Hello, hello. Hey up, what's up, what's good? Que cosa sucede? Ni hao, pubiet. Welcome to the Any Given Runway Show. I'm your host, Randall Carlton Green. Any Given Runway celebrates the exploration of new cultures by highlighting some of the most interesting, intellectual, and artistic people in the world. Everyone has a story. Each person a scholar. We have a fantastic show for you today with an outstanding guest. Comedian William Lee Martin joins the show. Finally had to break down and buy some glasses. Never wore glasses ever. I told everybody I didn't need glasses. I knew it wasn't true. But I finally had to break down and buy some glasses, y'all, because I'll be honest with you, I was just tired of ordering chicken Alfredo. And uh, <laughs> older people know what I'm talking about, don't you? When you're 20 years old, every part of the menu is right here, man. You just go through it, everything on there. And then you're 30, you drop it down a little bit. And then 40, you're here. And then somewhere after that, you just look up one day and go, screw it, give me chicken Alfredo. <laughs> I knew I had to buy the glasses because the last time I said it, I said, give me chicken Alfredo. And the lady goes, sir, you're in a jiffy lube. William Lee Martin's comedy style is storytelling at its finest with material based on the family man's real life. Martin's fantastic timing keeps the punchlines coming with just enough time for you to catch your breath in between bits. William barreled into 2021 with fresh bits and new material when he kicked off his All-American Mutt comedy tour. He began his career in 1996, where he rose at a meteoric pace to club headliner in just three short years. You might also know him as Cowboy Bill. He has entertained military troops overseas, toured with country music stars like George Strait, George Jones, and Brad Paisley, and has performed with all four of the blue-collar comedy stars. In 2019, he released two brand new one-hour television specials. In addition to his time on stage, William is a writer, both musically as a songwriter and for film. But perhaps William's proudest achievement is the success of his nonprofit organization, the Cowboys Who Care Foundation, which was designed to provide support, smiles, and free cowboy hats to kids living with cancer and other life-threatening illnesses. On today's episode, William chats about how Performing for many consecutive nights on a cruise ship helped him enhance his skills on stage. William also talks about his writing process and where he finds creativity. And finally, William chats about the Cowboys Who Care Foundation and what initially inspired its creation. This was such a great conversation. William is incredibly humorous, incredibly funny, immensely talented on stage, and was an absolute delight to talk to. He's always working on something, and I love his diverse background. He's incredibly ambitious, but he's also never going to be out-hustled. He's always working on additional projects in which he can share his creativity. William is, is authentic and honest about his life, and, and you hear that even when he talks about why he loves video games and, and how they have helped him mentally to relax over the last year. Wonderful, wonderful conversation with William. I'm super excited to see him on tour this year. Thrilled for everyone to meet him, so let's go ahead and bring on comedian, writer, and philanthropist, William Lee Martin, and let's learn. What's the last year been like for you as a performer? Without regular shows, you've had to be creative in new ways. So what were some of the new projects that you started? Well, uh, you know, a couple of things have happened. Uh, first of all, you know, I had to back up. So five years ago, I rededicated my life uh, to Christ. And, uh, and for me, it really hasn't been a part of, about being more religious. It's being more accepting of what life is, has to offer me. And, uh, you know, when the pandemic happened, if this would have happened five years ago, I think I would have been in, in deep panic and maybe deep depression. But, you know, at some point I realized that life wasn't happening uh, to me. It was just happening. It wasn't personal. You know, 330 million people went through what we all went through. And so I had a pretty good attitude. But my marketing team, 
Uh, you know, it couldn't come at a worse time for me personally. I had two specials come out on Amazon Prime, one November the 19th, uh, in, in, uh, in 19, November, and then the other came out in December. And we were really, I mean, we were, you know, climbing the great climb and very excited about everything that was going on. And then March, everything shuts down, right? But so my marketing team, they said, uh, you know, Bill, you need to uh, do a virtual show. And I said, my brother, I've been doing comedy for 25 years, and uh, I can't do it without an audience. I know there were comics that did it, and they would just do, you know, without responses and without laughter. Uh, and, and maybe that worked for their brand, but it certainly wasn't going to work for mine. I, I, I didn't want to do it that way. And, and they said, well, at least flip on your computer and start talking. And uh, I said, that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard. Let's do it. <laughs> No, I still didn't do it for a couple of days. And it was my wife who was like, you know, you ought to try it. And then one day, you know, I was out working in the yard. And, you know, at this point, I've been really starting to, I'm a yard guy anyway. And now it's amazing how amazing my yard looked when a landscaper's living on the property, you know, uh, full time. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I was out in the front yard or the backyard, actually, by the pool. And I just flipped on the, the computer and I talked into the, uh, into the Facebook live, like I was talking to a friend and we didn't talk about numbers or hoaxes or is it real or are the numbers real? We talked about just getting through the process of enjoying the day of, you know, your body still produces endorphins, even if it's fake laughing. So as I've told everybody for the last year, ladies teach your man how to fake it. And, uh, so we just, uh, we started doing that. And, you know, it's funny because I had about 40,000 followers when this thing began and now we have a half a million followers you know we literally picked up 400,000 people talking to it you know it's also it was a combination of things but since I was five years old all I wanted to do is either write music or uh, write scripts and so I rededicated myself to really focusing on that and so we did a bunch of that. And, uh, you know, I've been, I was able to do shows because Texas keeps opening and closing, you know, now it's open, open. But, uh, so I was able to still do some shows here and there. And, uh, it really has been incredible. Uh, and I try to look at life as a blessing. Uh, you know, some of the blessings that's come through is my wife and I, you know, my marriage is not built on me being home seven days out of the week, period. You know, six days out of the month is, is, is great, you know, yeah. as a traveling touring comedian. And so my wife and I didn't know if we were going to like each other, you know, being together every day. And turns out uh, we're, we're best friends. And so that's been a blessing. So I try to look at the things and, and you know, we, we nobody in my immediate family got real sick. Several people caught it, caught COVID, but nobody got, you know, sick or in the hospital or anything else. And I never caught it uh, doing any of the stuff that I did. And, uh, and uh, so I've just tried to look at it as a blessing. Well, you mentioned refocusing your life and rechanging the thoughts in your life to have a better outlook, which has enabled you to handle the difficult situations better. But I'm sure it wasn't easy. So what were some of the things along the way that, that helped you keep your focus and keep the positivity when in the, in the past it might not have been there? Uh, Red Dead Redemption. Perfect. <laughs> you know, we're... <laughs> And, and it's so funny because I've ridden horses my entire life, and now I ride a fake horse almost yeah. every day. Yeah. 
right? So, but what I couldn't do with any of the horses that I've owned or any of the stuff that I've done is go ride them in the mountains at any given time. The, you know, go ride it in, in uh, you know, a waterfall or go hunting or fishing on just a moment's notice without loading anything up. And, and people who don't do any of the gaming, because I didn't get it myself until I really got into this game. Yeah. And uh, but people that don't do the gaming don't realize that it's a it's an escape reality for a little bit. And it just allows me not to think about all the things that are happening and oh, my God, and what. Mm-hmm. No, I just, you know, I uh, it, it's funny. I have five kids and four grandsons and my screensaver on my phone is a horse I captured in the mountains. <laughs> Red Dead Redemption. <laughs> I love it. So it's an Arabian. She's beautiful. She's yeah. she's uh, all white. It took me a long time to break her, you know. <laughs> so, but that escape, just that escape, and my wife allowing me also to just go escape. You know, I think as as couples, sometimes you know we we tend to think if they're not talking to me something's wrong right and instead of both of us saying you have your space i have mine and then and then we still do dinner obviously and that kind of stuff together but yeah that escape alone really helped me get through most of it well said i think it's an underappreciated thing about video games it is escape it's a chance to relax and just lose focus of all the difficult things going on growing up i'm curious uh, who are the the artists and or the shows that left the strongest marks emotionally for you in, in comedy, the ones that you still think about today. You're like, you know, that show really inspired my humor. Well, I, you know, I, it, it's funny because now with uh, everything that goes on, you know, with Bill Cosby's world, mm-hmm. uh, he's still the guy that as a comedian uh, made the biggest impact on me, period. Uh, his album uh, himself that's the title of it, from 1984, 1985, where he has on the brown suit and the tie cocked over to the side. Uh, that, that is still pound for pound the best comedy for an hour and 20 minutes. Now we know everything about his life, but this idea that we, that we hold it a light up to today's standard of what, what it is and what it was was an inspiration for me to become a comedian. But, you know, I liked a lot of, uh, I, you know, obviously everybody says prior and uh, I loved prior, uh, but I also liked uh, oh, some of the smarter guys that, that went up and, and told the stuff. And then a lot of people don't give Foxworthy enough credit, mm-hmm. uh, but he pound for pound was a great relationship comic. Everybody talks about you might be a redneck, but that was such a small part of his act. Yeah. The rest of it was just really, really good comedy. And, uh, but I like, you know, uh, clean guys and dirty guys. And I like a guy who you can tell that they're committed to the bit. You know, it's still important to me uh, being authentic. You know, right now with so many internet sensation guys mm-hmm. going out and doing comedy. And, you know, they haven't earned the stripes. And they haven't really told the stories that are really theirs. They're, they're doing whatever, you know, makes them famous on the internet. Yeah. And uh, that's a shame because... Comedy is still that last last place of honesty that you can really be honest with the audience. And uh, I tell my audience now the difference between 2020 comedy and 2021. I tell them, you've come to see my show. So if any point of the evening you get your old panties all balled up in a wad, hopefully your butt can go, because <laughs> I don't care. Yeah. And I don't. I don't care what somebody else thinks. I'm not going to pattern my 
thought because uh, uh, somebody who came to the show actually didn't like what I said about whatever. You know, you paid your money. Now it's time to see the freak show, right? Yeah. Yeah, and then you can't complain about there are freaks there if that's what you paid for as well. So it's, yeah, yeah, so <laughs> absolutely. In order to have great ideas, the key is to have a lot of ideas. So I'm curious for you when it comes to the writing process, do you sit down and actively write jokes? Are you waiting for them to come to you? And do you work on maybe one bit at a time or do you just spread them all out? Well, it all depends. You know, I tell young comics all the time, quit trying to be funny and just report the funny. Okay. You know, we're, we're God's little punchlines. You know, if you don't think God has a sense of humor, uh, I have two words for you. Yao Ming. Okay, Yao Ming. Remember the basketball player? Houston Rockets. Houston Rockets, right? Eight foot tall Chinese guy. Yeah. He makes one billion people under five foot tall. And he makes one eight. That's hilarious. Right? So mm -hmm. just report the news. Uh, for me, a lot of the writing really is a process of what I, I think the joke's going to be. Sometimes I write it down, but it's usually not. I don't write every word of it. You know, I know people that write volumes of stuff. I'll have a premise of an idea to go up, and then I'll start working on the joke. And then after I do it on stage, I'm like, well, I could have said this and could have said that. Uh, like, like there was a uh, the Dairy Queen right right here by my office. You know, I have a separate office from the house, and uh, so. I go in there and this guy is there talking. He actually got a hot dog. And I was really jealous because my wife is having me eat clean right now, you know. And uh, so I was jealous, chili cheese dog. And he sits down behind me and I'm hearing him talk about it. And uh, he said, well, I'm not going to get the shot. I'm not going to put anything in my body that I don't know what's in it. I'm like, bro, you're eating yeah. a hot dog. Yeah, from Dairy Queen. <laughs> from Dairy Queen. <laughs> from the side of the highway, Dairy Queen. Yeah. This is not even in a city. You know, this is pull off the side of the road, nothing around that Dairy Queen. Yeah. And uh, so... That might have taken the place of the shot. <laughs> right. And so I was doing it, uh, and I was trying to make it, and it was just too long of a setup for the audience to understand. And I almost had the exact same conversation with my sister, who now apparently is a scientist, okay? I don't know if you have family members like this, but, you know, the only science I've ever seen her actually perform, I was in sixth grade, she was in 11th grade, and she made a bong once out of an apple. <laughs> I didn't know at the time what it was, but yeah. now I know what it was. And uh, so, uh, but she was that, I'm not putting anything in my body. And so I changed it just to being her, and you're eating a hot dog, relax. Got a bigger laugh, got to the joke quicker. And then uh, on the way home, I was thinking about it. I was like, wait a minute. She's had three children with three different men. She's never been concerned about what she puts inside of her. <laughs> and I'm like, that's the joke. <laughs> and so it developed into to the whole thing. And, and uh, so that's what, how that joke developed. Yeah. Well, how does that timing work out? Because like you said, you're, you're working on one part of it, and you realize this it might be too long of a setup, and then you go for a different one. How do you test it all out? How do you know in your mind when something is right and the proper length? And then, and then what do you do when you want to kind of try things out? Uh, first of all, uh, when, when I've been doing a lot of shows now. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, but at a comedy club, you know, I, 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 I'm doing the five. So we're doing some clubs, you know, we're going, taking it back into the theaters. Uh, really, uh, we started two weeks ago. And then Elena Barbera, my agent, is really booking me into a lot of other theaters. 
but we're doing a lot of comedy clubs right now just so you can do more of the shows. But after 25 years, you really have a beat on what's going to be, you know, yeah. where it's going to go. So you just throw it out one night just to hear it is important. And then the moment that you do, you're like, that's too long of a setup. And I tell, again, I tell young comics all the time, write the joke backwards. So you know where the punchline is. How, how few of words do I have to say to set this up and still work? Yeah. I call it writing a, a, a Twitter uh, joke. And, and I don't write jokes for Twitter, but what I'm saying is that a dichotomy of words yeah. really helps get to the punchline because the punchline is the, the most important part if you've set it up short and distinct and everything else. And then for me, I'm a storyteller. So I do a lot of short setup punch, setup punch, setup punch, but they're all in the vein of a thing. Yeah. You know, uh, the special that I came out on Amazon, uh, one of them was called The Nutcracker. And it's a Christmas special, but it's really a 40-minute story about me getting a vasectomy. And uh, hence, the nutcracker. <laughs> and uh, so they, uh, it, but when I, you know, when I got into comedy, I had guys telling me that you have to change the subjects every five to eight minutes. Otherwise, people get bored with the story. And what I've proven with this thing is that's not true. Yeah. You know, Cosby proved that not true. Uh, um, uh, prior proved that not to be true that as long as you have the punches in it the story can go on for a long time i agree and i think with the best performances i've ever seen are the ones that go back you hear a joke in the first five minutes and maybe 20 30 minutes later there's bits and pieces maybe not the full part of that joke but it references it you're adding onto the humor it's a snowball effect as it goes with that performing it's it's a relationship with the crowd right you're feeding off them so how much does that influence maybe the direction that a joke goes? Maybe if the, if the crowd's really feeling it, do you, do you tighten up a joke or do you let it go longer? And then with that, do you also have certain jokes that you're saving for like that big night when the crowd is, is feeling you? Well, uh, you know, I, I was fortunate to work with uh, uh, Lewis Black early in my career. And Lewis uh, told me uh, through this series of things that happened there, he said, never give the crowd credit, never give them blame. He said, the comics, the easiest thing is to say that crowd was great, yeah. that crowd sucked. And the fact is that 300 people never get together and go, let's go stare at a guy. Yeah. Right? So uh, the idea of that crowd I could take a chance with or that crowd I couldn't. Now, uh, 20 years ago, you know, that would be my mentality really is where can I do but, you know, just like I don't know what you're thinking right now, you don't know what I'm thinking right now. So you better have a pattern that works. You know, Seinfeld said to everybody's been funny at a party, but to write a piece of material that works night after night after night is like going from earth to heaven. Yeah. And uh, I, I have to absolutely agree with that. It's, uh, it's part of, of, of being able to work the crowd and understand where you are. You know, uh, I did five shows last week in Little Rock, and two of them were primarily just crowd work. It's what I was feeling. Uh, it's where I wanted to go with it. I could also see the look on their faces, and they, the people that I wanted to pick on and did pick on and played with and stuff, they were receptive of the thing. And sometimes you can tell that this person is not, and it's just going to end up stonewalling your show and go back to the material. And uh, so I'm fortunate that I have uh, worked for Carnival Cruise Lines. Mm. And, and I, I wouldn't have said that 11 years ago. 
when I first went to Carnival 10 years ago or in 2010. Um, that's back when you used to think that you would take a career to die on a cruise ship. Yeah. The Carnival started a, 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 the Punchline Comedy Club and it was a real comedy club on the ship. But it, it forced me to write five different shows, five different 30-minute sets yeah. and polish each one of them. So I literally have, you know, four and a half, five hours of material that I know works. So I can always dip into the bag of tricks if, uh, if need be. I like that. It's, it forced you to, to change and to be better. I like your, your point of not blaming or giving credit to the crowd. It's to me, I, it's the first thing I thought of was an athlete blaming the referees or something like that. I think that's right. accountability of it. Who, who are your allies? So when, you're, when you are coming up with ideas and you want to test something out, but you're not ready for the stage, who are the people in your life that you bounce jokes off? Oh, that's a great question, man. That's awesome. Uh, uh, there's a couple of comments that I, I can bounce my uh, ideas off of. Uh, but really, my wife and my son. I have four daughters and a son. And my son was my road manager before he, he started killing it in real estate. And, uh, and But, uh, you know, he's been around the business for 25 of his 31 years of life. And... Uh, both of them say the same thing. They won't laugh. Most of the time they'll go, that's funny. And then I know it works, you know, I know it works, but yeah, I'll bounce that off of them. Uh, so, and then there are comics that I know that have an ear for what I'm listening for too. Cause there's some comics that just want to say, that's great because they want me to hire them to open for me. Right. Yeah. And I don't need that. You know, one of the, uh, one time I opened for Jeff Foxworthy, 25 years ago and we were in Branson, Missouri and there's all these people standing around in the green room and he goes, Bill, I want to try a joke. Uh, I, I, I want to try this out on you. And he did the joke. It was about, as I remember, it was about all of his, his wife, his daughters, all three of his dogs uh, were uh, uh, female as well. And they all, you know, started cycling together or something like that. Right. And everybody laughed at the end. And he looked at me and goes, what do you think? And I said, uh, well, it's, I mean, it's funny, but can Jeff Foxworthy get away with a cycling joke? And he goes, that's exactly what I thought. And everybody looked at me like I was the asshole in the room. You were and the honest one. What he, yeah, what he wanted was a comics view of, because there's plenty of people who tell you that's funny. Yeah. Like I have one joke that I'm working on right now that I can't find the funny. I just can't find it, but it's on this whole cancel culture. And I started thinking the other day, the only person who are really happy about cancel culture are white supremacists. <laughs> and I don't know how to make it funny, but think about it. They're sitting there going, all I ever want to do is get rid of Angie Mama and Uncle Ben, and it finally happened. <laughs> so I don't yeah. know where the funny is, but uh, it's like, you know, we've had so many rallies over this thing, and finally, the kids had it taken away. Yeah. So yeah. it's this whole homogenizing of America that people, I don't know if they realize that there are consequences to everything that happens. And, uh, you know, while you're trying to make it more diverse, you're actually homogenizing all of America when you're doing it. Yeah. So I don't know where the, there's going to be something funny in there, or there won't be. And the yeah. audience will tell me, if there is or there isn't. So we'll see. And that's a topic with so much to it that that could be one of those snowball ones that does take place throughout a show. 
And I love your point about just having, when I mentioned allies, they have to be honest. Instead of having the yes men all the time, we can find hundreds of yes men who are the ones saying, nah, you know, that, that ain't it. How about mindset? For you, how do you get in the mindset to perform, especially on stage? And does that mindset or is that, does that preparation, does that change if you're opening for somebody big or if you're part of a headlining group? Or Well, I, I haven't done any. I've been fortunate that I haven't opened for anybody in, in uh, a long, long time. So when I toured with a lot of those guys, we're way back in 2000 or so. And it's, uh, you know, the, the confident level that I have now really wasn't as, as much as it, I, I've never felt more comfortable on stage in who I am on stage. Cool. You know, for a long time, I, for the first five years of my career, I worked clean. And then it got dirtier and dirtier and dirtier for the next 15. And then I came out with a CMT special. And, uh, you know, it had every colorful language that you could put in it and, uh, they bleeped it. And I'm not saying I cussed a lot, but it, it sounded like the guy with the telegraph, uh, on, on the Titanic. Yeah. And, uh, but it did really well. I mean, it was the highest rated comedy special of that year in 2015. And, and, uh, but I still felt like something was missing in my life and my act. And at the time, I was, uh, you know, going by the nickname my grandfather gave me, which was Cowboy Bill Martin, right? And I had already changed my name. I wanted, I, I just felt like that a pigeonholed me too much, that real cowboys didn't want to come see the show. They're like, I'm a real cowboy, and this guy's telling jokes, calling him. And then black and brown folks didn't come to the show uh, because they're not going to go see a Cowboy Bill. Hmm. So I changed my name, but hadn't changed the act. Yeah. And then I was going through this whole process of what I really wanted out of life. And I'm mowing the grass one day and I'm literally praying about it. I'm like, Lord, why don't you let me grab the brass ring? You know, you let Rodney Carrington grab it. You let Ron White grab it. And so obviously there's not a morality clause in this thing. <laughs> right. Both <laughs> great guys. Both of them I know well, yeah. but they're both as dirty as anybody I've ever seen on stage. And, and I'm cussing some on the show. And, and then as you and I were talking, the voice in my head said, listen, I put you on a cruise ship for seven years and you could do anything with your life. And the only thing you're willing to do was change your name. And you want me to work the miracle. You're waiting on me. I'm waiting on you. Yeah. So I made wholesale changes in the act and took out all the cussing and, and the real blue stuff. And, and a lot of that stuff I... I, they were like my, you know, my babies, they were my kids and I, I miss a couple of those. And then you realize after a while, uh, that I don't think we could have made the leap without it. And now it's the guy that I know that I was meant to be on stage, you know, not saying the F bomb every 32 seconds or, you know, whatever, you know, and, and cause I, you know, my wife and I run a charity as well. We provide cowboy hats to kids with cancer. And, uh, and I'm a father and a grandfather, and, you know, and I'm just not that, you know, F-bomb guy, but yet I was doing it every night, making a living with it. And, uh, and now I feel this comfort level on stage that, that uh, took me 25 years to find. Well, I admire your humility and your introspection that goes into that, because for someone who's done something as long as you have to then make a change, that's usually the most difficult time to change after you've been doing something for so long, no matter what the career is. So I admire that the introspection you had and you thinking this was a change that, and that it was up to you to make. I think that's, that's so cool. You mentioned your charity. So what is the Cowboys Who Care Foundation? And then why is that important to you? Well, we started, uh, and thanks for asking about it. We started uh, in 2011. 
with a young lady named Ashley Miller. Uh, her mom and dad were big fans of mine, asked me to put my name on a golf tournament to raise some money for it here locally. And I was happy to do that. And then I got to know Ashley and her mom and dad. Then her cancer goes into remission. And it came back with a vengeance, and she lost her battle in June of 2011. And, uh, and we were asked to come to the prayer vigil uh, the, the, night that they were, the night before they took her off of life support. And it, it just had this huge impact on me. And I knew I wanted to help and didn't know how. And then I got put on a Carnival cruise ship, right? And they gave me a room with a bunk bed. Now, why this is important is because uh, I, I took it as a slap in the face. You know, there's a bunk bed that I, and I'm six foot two. And so there's no setting up in the bed for the entire week. Pretty mad about the whole thing. The next day I'm laying in the bunk and I just Google kids with cancer images, kind of opened up to the universe, try to figure out what I can do to help these kids. And there were these big, bright, beautiful uh, faces, smiles and bald heads. And in the mirror, because I'm in the bunk bed, in the mirror, my hat, my cowboy hat sitting up there. And I thought, that was the aha moment. Well, these kids need cowboy hats. What, what seven-year-old wants to wear a wig, but what seven-year-old wouldn't want to wear a cowboy hat? Yeah, yeah. And uh, so we formed Cowboys to Care Foundation and, and, uh, and then got with Resist All, uh, the largest hat manufacturer in the, in the country. And I reached out to him, uh, the president of it. You know, I thought I would start with the biggest company and then work my way down. Maybe somebody at least see the marketing aspect for the company. And the president at the time said, come over to my office. I'd like to talk to you in Garland, Texas. And I drove over and he said, Bill, you don't know this, but my stepson, Spencer, has been in and out of cancer treatments mm -hmm. since he was three. He said, the warehouse is yours, mm -hmm. right? And I, he said, what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know. Right now, I'm going to file the paperwork. I know how to build a website. So I'm going to build a website and see what happens. So I went home and I filled out the website made it and uh, like less than a week later, we got a, an inquiry, our first one from a lady who was doing a uh, camp for kids with cancer in Southern Illinois and asked us if we could bring 300 cowboy hats up there because it was Western, the theme was Western uh, week. Yeah. And so I called the guy and I go, I hope your offer is still good because I need 300 hats. And he's like, brother, they're yours. And we went over and picked them up and me, my wife, and my youngest daughter drove from Texas to Southern Illinois and uh, delivered them hats. And we've been off and running ever since. And thanks to Resist All, we've delivered a little over 10,000 hats now. Gosh, what an experience. What were your feelings like when you're delivering 300 hats? And especially if this is the first time you're working on it. Uh, you know, it's overwhelming. It, yeah. it really is. It's because, uh, it, you know, while I've wore a hat my entire life, uh, I haven't exactly shaped them my entire life and then you've got all these kids and how do you how do you bring them in and how do you fit them and they're different sizes and how to and you know as we've discovered uh all those things are the the, the stuff that absolutely you don't need to worry about because yeah. it does work itself out yeah you know and uh so and there's something special about a cowboy hat for a kid i mean one of the deliveries that we've made was uh uh in the bronx in New York at an Orthodox Jewish hospital, which was the coolest thing. You know, I took four of the Cowboys in there with me. And when we all walked in with these boxes, people looked at us like, why are y'all here? Are you here to, are you here to uh, make fun of us or what, you know, what, what exactly 
because we absolutely did not look like anybody else in, in uh, the entire hospital. And once they heard about what we were doing and what it broke down these great barriers, you know, and, and people smiling and, and, and that's the important part of it. So I get a lot of it, a lot more out of it sometimes I think than the kids do uh, yeah. because, uh, you know, it, I know it lasts with me a long time. Difficult year for everybody. What do you think is the biggest lesson you learn? And it doesn't even have to be comedy related. Uh, for the year uh, is that, that no matter what you go through, uh, you're going to have to go through some other crap too. You know, uh, there was a lot, there, it's easy to just lay back and complain and it's easy to also lay blame, but believe it or not, even if they cure it, it even if it stopped tomorrow, if they came out and said, Hey, COVID stopped like they did with the flu. Uh, but <laughs> okay. Can I just say with the flu though, uh, you know, the fact that they're saying that there's zero cases, I think is, have you ever cheated on a test in algebra in high school? Oh, yes, many times. And, and you look at your, you know, your buddy and you go, listen, you got to change two of the answers. We can't get all the answers. Yes. If I get 100, they know your dumb ass isn't getting 100. So change a couple answers, would you? Right? They should have done the same thing with the flu. They should have called each hospital and go, listen, you got to write down flu a couple of times, okay? They all can't be COVID. Exactly. <laughs> right. exactly. But uh, uh, but let's face it, if they if they cured it tomorrow, somebody's still going to go through something. You know, somebody's still going to be diagnosed with a heart condition yep. or cancer or uh, a traffic accident, and you're going to lose a loved one, and you're going to have to go through that again by yourself. There won't be 330 million people talking about the same subject. You'll be alone, and that's when you have to decide what really is important to you. Mm-hmm. You know, and that I think that's what I got out of this thing too was was that, and I get that a lot with the kids with the charity. You know, one of the coolest things that we've done uh, with the COVID thing, I did a twenty four hour straight uh, on Facebook. So I started at noon on a Saturday and went to noon on a Sunday, live broadcast the entire time. And out of that, we kept talking about the reason I'm doing it organically. It came out just to show that we can get through a minute sometimes to get through an hour to get through the day. You know, one of my favorite sayings ever is how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. One bite at a time. Yeah. yeah. And so many times we, we get bogged down and eating the whole damn thing mm-hmm. instead of, all right, got to start with the toenail or something, you know? So I, I, that really has changed my perspective immensely valuable lessons that you learn. I think that's going to be so important for not just you, but for everybody to, to remember that. What's next? What do you have coming up for shows and any other projects you're working on for the next few months or 2021 in general? Well, uh, several things. Uh, I got real serious about the songwriting. So mm-hmm. I signed a pub deal after I did a bunch of songwriting, uh, either Zoom or at the loft there at my house. Uh, with songwriters from Nashville and Texas. And and so then I signed my first pub deal with Marriott Publishing. And we've got some songs that were out there uh, shopping and seem to be getting some notice. None have gotten uh, published or, 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 or cut yet. But, you know, this early in the process, I've also written about seven full-length movie scripts uh, in the last, you know, three or four years and really got serious about that stuff. 
really pushing that. And then we've started the, the new tour, and uh, it's it's called the All American Mutt Comedy Tour because mm-hmm. I'm a mutt. Okay, one of the things I did during COVID is I I used to always do this bit about this lady who lied about her ethnic background to get a job. And then I thought, you know what? That seems hypocritical because I don't really know my, I know what my mother told me. My mother told me that I was part Indian, Native American. And uh, so I took the DNA test and turned out my brother, uh, 13 countries were listed in my DNA. And apparently we didn't sleep with one Native American. (laughs) We slept with everybody else. Okay. I even found out that I'm, 2%, 1% 2%, 1% Congo, 1% Ethiopian. Wow. Yeah. And if they're passing out checks, I'm 100% in the line first. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, oh, my goodness, I'm a mutt. Yeah. And politically, I'm also a mutt. I, I can't, you know, I'm still confused on, on how we think that we sound like we're grown-ups if we're calling people names like we're, you know, six years old, snowflake and sheep. I got called a sheep yesterday and because uh, I got a shot in my arm for the thing. And I thought, okay, but you sound fine by calling me a sheep. Yeah. You know, there's all kinds of animals that, that are led by a shepherd. And really, I don't have a shepherd. The only shepherd that I have is me. Yeah. So that doesn't really make me a sheep. But anyway, uh, so we're calling it the All American Mutt Comedy Tour, and and we're already we're going to go across the country, and uh, we're excited about it. as the country opens up, we're going to go to smaller markets. We really love, you know, I love being on a stage of of a theater seven hundred and fifty and less because you really make a connection with the audience, and uh, you know we're I'm excited about everything. We're excited about getting Cowboys of Care back into the hospitals. You know, right now, by the way, if people know somebody in their area that has a child, has a cancer, or life-threatening illness, they don't have to wait for us to come to the hospital. They can go to our website, cowboyswhocare.org, and hit the request a hat button, fill out the little form, and the child does have to fall under our umbrella of cancer or life-threatening illness. And if they do, we'll send that kid a brand-new cowboy hat free of charge. No shipping, no handling. You know, we're not saving your email address. You know, we're not selling that or nothing. But just trying to get out a hat and smile to a kid. Uh, it's, it's a fantastic organization. How can people stay up to date with the upcoming tours and just get more information from your career? Yeah, they can go to WilliamLeeMartin.com. That's WilliamLeeMartin.com. And then, you know, I'm on the Facebook and we're on the TikTok and uh, we've only been on TikTok for like three weeks, I think. And we have almost 100,000 followers and a million likes. It was just crazy. I'm like, and we're just putting like one little minute clips from the different, uh, the three different, you know, uh, television specials. And uh, it's, it's been fun to watch the numbers, you know. So it's been fun to watch the stock market go up and down on these clips. So. But a lot of funny stuff on there. Hopefully, people will find the humor in it. And if you don't, hopefully your butt goes. <laughs> I will say that you did bring up the callback. I do want. I, I, I'd be remiss if I did. You know, you were talking about how you do an act, and then twenty minutes later yeah. you bring that back, and that's yeah. called a callback. And in the comedy world, I will say that the difference between comedy twenty-five years ago and comedy now is that if you're going to put it on social media, uh, the callback doesn't work. It's true. 
it's it's so funny because I for forever a lot of comics used to call me the uh, callback king because that last ten minutes were all callbacks to the previous forty, mm-hmm. and uh, and now you really can't do that because people haven't seen the front to see the see the back. So the style of writing has changed in the twenty five years that I've been doing it. You know, that's a great point. But I think on the positive side of that is that maybe that will make the sanctity of the show is now a bigger deal. Like you go to a concert to potentially see an encore. So now you go to the, right. a comedy show to potentially have those callbacks and have the better experience. Well, you're exactly right. And, and that's the beauty of it. You know, live comedy is still best done in right. the room. With people there, the energy, the booze. You know. There's something about hearing a joke from one person is nothing but when you're around other people and going to a show you're also putting your mindset that i want to laugh and when you have that mindset of i want to laugh you're more likely to laugh and when around other people you're right so something about being in a show it's just a lot more well laughter is an involuntary uh you know response Mm -hmm. to a voluntary action you know and uh so it's it's uh it's still the greatest thing uh to go through as a comic and uh and again Fake it, America. If you have to, fake it. Any dates coming up to uh, Arizona? Oh, you're in Arizona. I, I, didn't, I thought you were uh, because of the Sox hat. I thought, oh, yeah. Every time I go to a new stadium, I buy the hat. Okay. I didn't know if you like, you know, like storming the field and, and, <laughs> and hitting the guy on first base. Oh, that's a great you know, reference. That's dad. a great reference. That's... Yeah, I'm a big baseball fan. So, Are you a Rangers fan or are you a Rangers fan? Okay. If you say Astros, now i got to punch you in the yeah. face. I'm actually a Detroit Tigers fan. So that's are you really? Full of comedy right there. Uh, Trammell, I guess. Is that's the my biggest. guy. That's yeah, it. the biggest. Uh, yeah, I'm, that's the only thing that I wanted to do was play baseball as a kid. You know, I thought I'd play shortstop for the Texas Rangers, you know, Turn as bad as I sucked last year, I may still get a tryout. <laughs> Any Arizona dates though? Uh, not yet. Okay, uh, but, but you will, yeah. But if you know of a theater, uh, anybody who's listening, you know of a theater that's 750 or less, and you think it's a right fit for me to come to it, uh, contact Elena Barbera. Uh, uh, it's on my website, WeebleyMartin.com. We will get to your town as soon as possible. This was fantastic. Uh, I know I could chat with you for hours. I appreciate everything. My oh, man, this was great. My pleasure. All right, Take care. Bye bye. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. Much appreciation to William. Be sure to give him a follow where you can. And for more information, check out WilliamLeanMartin.com. Keep an eye open for the All American Mutt Comedy Tour coming to a town near you. My new book, Curiosity, is currently available on Amazon. Curiosity celebrates the knowledge that strangers have to offer. Everyone's unique expertise and endless wisdom awaits the perpetually curious. Featuring 200 episodes from the Any Given Runway Show, Curiosity explores the diverse lives of athletes, adventurers, and performers. From daring voyages across the Atlantic to unforgettable performances in the West End, Curiosity celebrates the sophisticated thing we call life. Everyone has a story. Each person is a scholar. Thank you for listening. Fill up that passport. I'll see you on the road. Aviento. Randall has become like... You know, New York's favorite son.